Hey, Change Nation, and welcome to episode 12 of the Social Biz Showcase podcast, proudly podcasted from the Kansas City Startup Village. Coming at you today with my Friday recap podcast, I really like this time. Just gives me the chance, again, to kind of reorient us as a nation, refocus ourselves, and especially with the new format I've adopted of doing two interviews per week, two blog posts per week, and then my newsletter. It really gives me a good chance to dig into what's going on, really spend some time kind of staying in the space that we've been in this week. And so I'm really liking this new format, really enjoy this time to go ahead and communicate with you. I'm your host, Josh Shookman. So here's what we're going to be chatting with today. As you notice, this week's theme was really focused on academic or professional programs based in this idea of social entrepreneurship. Both of our interview subjects were up in Canada, and you'll find as some of these interviews come out that Canada and the United Kingdom, and I think Australia, I don't have an Australian interview yet, but I'm working on that, that these countries are actually a fair bit ahead of us in terms of social entrepreneurship and social businesses, and then also the programs to support them. So some really interesting insight coming at us around that, so I'll go ahead and and chat through that just a little bit. Also want to just share some stories from the week that I've experienced, just kind of get personal, not personal, personal, but uh, some, some, some experiences I've had in my life as I've been continually working to build Social Change Nation. I hope you'll bear with me as these first few weeks are just me kind of being candid and honest about the experiences I'm having, the challenges I'm running into, and just being upfront with you about that because I, I want to be open about that, and I hope that you'll be open with me as you're tuning in so that I know how to make this community community better and more responsive to what you're up to. So I'll talk about just again, like I did last week, some of the challenges, some of the successes with Social Change Nation as we're growing. Then I want to go ahead and close out and I'll talk through, actually, I'm going to reverse that order. I'll talk to you about programs and the podcast for this week, the interviews I had this week. Then I'll go in and I'll talk about just some successes and some setbacks with Social Change Nation over the past week, some stories from my life. And then I'm going to close us out by talking uh, and digging into a blog post that I put out this week. If you didn't get a chance to read that, I'll actually be reading back through a lot of it. So you'll catch that here. But uh, that's kind of really ties into something that I'll speak about in terms of how I've refocused and rebranded Social Change Nation is I'm really going to come at, not rebranded, but just refocused, is again coming at this idea of really focusing in on the content that I produce. So that's why you'll see me put out a blog and then also talk about it fairly extensively here. And I'll explain why as I get into it. But let's go ahead and just get started so I can get right into that. So first thing that I want to chat with you about, we, like I said, we had a couple interviews this week with Carolyn Davis and then Lauren Warbeck. They were involved in an, excuse me, a professional program based around community economic development out of Simon Fraser University up in Canada and had some really neat insight for us. But I wanted to highlight them particularly to use that as a launching point for a lot of programs that are cropping up around the world around this idea of social entrepreneurship. So Carolyn Davis has been involved a long time with an organization called Momentum. You heard her talk about that. She's speaking about an issue that's near and dear to my heart, this idea of financial literacy. And they have a lot of great programs there at Momentum that are really – what's the word – 
there are really several other models for that too around the world. This idea of bringing people in, and, and for example, Carolyn talked about a matching savings account. You have someone come in who has struggled financially for a lot of their lives, and you get them into a work program, and then any money they save, you match. It incentivizes saving and incentivizes positive financial behavior. And so it's a really interesting concept. As some of you may know, I was uh, worked with the Dave Ramsey organization in the past, a financial literacy organization. Our heart, our passion, our mission was restoring the way that Americans handled their money. And really, we're international now, so really transforming the way that people handle money. Because when you dig in and, and find out the statistics, it's pretty atrocious the way we manage money in general. And it's just because I think of a lack of a lot of training and knowledge and, and, and things like that around this, this area. So Momentum is doing some really cool things. And I think that matched saving program is just a prime example of a really innovative approach to lifting people out of poverty. So she had some really tremendous insight on the financial side Lauren Warbeck, one of my favorite things that she was talking about, among a lot of other just really awesome philosophies on community development and empowering people within your community, Lauren really focused on this idea in the interview and in her work on this idea of how fundamental transportation is to someone's life. And if you lack transportation and you don't have a way to get around your city, you're really missing a critical element if you're struggling in other areas of your life, be the economic, employment, any of those areas. If you don't have transportation, if you don't have a way to get where you're going, it presents tremendous challenges for you in other aspects of your life. And that's why I really like that question that I ask everybody is, you know, why this social issue above all others? And I loved Lauren's response to that because transportation, transit really is key. And what they're doing at Pedal, now, I know for some of you listening, that might seem a little odd, but Vancouver is a very bike-friendly city. That's the way a lot of people get around. I think Lauren mentioned that. So what they're doing with Pedal and getting people into bikes and helping them know how to repair those bikes is really a huge step in the right direction in terms of helping people get around, which in turn helps them get jobs and, and lead lives and improve themselves. So an interesting concept there. And the reason I highlight that is as change agents – as change agents in the world, you need to be aware and, and keep your eyes open and your ears open for opportunities like that that might not be on the surface, might not be as sexy as some other causes, but that doesn't matter as long as they're near and dear to your heart, as long as they mean something to you, and they have a fundamental purpose in the overall picture of social change and what you're doing for people. And that's really the message that I love so much about this week in terms of what Lauren and Carolyn were doing. Again, there are certainly, you could argue, that there are sexier causes out there, sexier stories, but the, the fundamental importance of what Lauren and Carolyn are doing to everything else in people's lives really can't be denied. So look for those opportunities and the causes you're choosing to support. So that's point one that I took away from the interviews this week. Point number two, and this is really the one that I'm most excited about personally, is this exciting energy around programs focused in social entrepreneurship and community economic development. I want to talk specifically about the United States because I'm sure that's where most Actually, I say that, but I probably have a lot of Canadian listeners now with the interviews this week. But So let's just go ahead and talk about it in general in terms of the United States and Canada. I can't really speak much to the UK right now. But let's just talk about what's going on 
academically at our universities, at our colleges around this area of social entrepreneurship. The first thing you need to know is that it is absolutely exploding. If you are an aspiring social entrepreneur, you're an aspiring change agent, chances are there's a program not too far from you at a university, at a community college that's going to be focused around this idea of social entrepreneurship, cause-based business, or economic development. In fact, I was just reading today, Stanford Social Innovation Review is one of the best resources out there for articles and information on this topic. And one of the articles I was reading, and by the way, I'm going to put links to these things in my notes, so you'll be able to link up with that. One of the articles I was reading just talked about how quickly these programs are are growing. That was exciting for me. As I've mentioned before, I'm in graduate school. I'm focused on social entrepreneurship with the hope of teaching social entrepreneurship. And the fact is, because students are demanding this, programs are starting to offer it big time. Like, Most of the time when you're trained to be a professor, when you get out onto the job market, there are a lot more people trained to do what you do than there are jobs. For social entrepreneurship programs, at least right now, that's flipped around. There are a lot more social entrepreneurship jobs out there than professors and educators that are really qualified for it. So that's exciting for us professors, but on the flip side, looking for a program, that means that these programs are really exploding. They're looking to add people. They're looking to bring a lot of exciting energy into them. So I just point that out as a an inspiration, hopefully, for all of you listening, that if this is something you want to get even more deeply involved in, want to be trained in, want to get a degree in, those opportunities are definitely out there. And if you're not wanting to go quite to the level of getting a degree, Carolyn and Lauren were not getting a full-fledged degree. They were getting a certificate. So it was a shortened program designed to focus in a very specific area. That is popping up all over the map. And the reason that's popping up is because people are demanding it. And you want to know the largest place for the growth of social entrepreneurship right now? Business schools. Would you believe that? Business schools. You know, I would have thought typically nonprofit programs are housed within public administration. I would have thought it would have been all within these nonprofit programs, but the reality is business schools are really adding a lot of social entrepreneurship professors. The reason is students that want to go into business now want to go into business more for the social impact than the economic contribution to their own bottom line. Not to say that the economic contribution isn't important to them. And by the way, that's what we focus on here at Social Change Nation, our tagline, business that makes a dollar and a difference. So we understand that when you are more economically viable, your mission is more sustainable, If you're in charge of your own financial destiny, you can be in charge of your own cause-based destiny. And so that's why that's important to us. But I think it's it's, it's also important to note that there there is a generational shift here. Millennials especially are – I think I mentioned this last week, but I'm, I'm going to keep mentioning this because I think this is such a huge point. Millennials, more than any other generation, will value causes and impact and meaning in their work before money. And that's a really important thing to note because it's being reflected in a lot of different ways in our society. It's it's showing up in terms of the products that are presented to us as consumers. It's showing up in terms of the job descriptions that we see for our jobs. It's showing up in the fact that 
nearly every major company now that wants to be perceived as sexy and appeal to millennials is going to have a corporate social responsibility arm, probably a corporate social responsibility director. So this is the way the landscape is shifting, y'all, both in terms of our businesses and in terms of our academic programs. And so I say that just to highlight the fact that you'll see these changes in businesses. And if this is an area you're looking to get involved with professionally, be on the lookout as you're looking for jobs at different organizations. Be on the lookout for those kinds of positions because they are there. A lot of times you still have to kind of find the right company, the the right mindset at the company, and an innovative enough company. But I think you'd be shocked to see the companies now that have directors of corporate social responsibility that didn't just three to four years ago. So that's on the professional side. Let me get back to the academic side. Again, the the moral of the story on the academic side is that these programs are exploding all over the world. Both full-fledged academic programs get a bachelor's, master's, doctorate in social entrepreneurship, all the way down to certificate programs that focus on a very specific niche. All of these are very valuable. And oh, and by the way, there are a lot of really innovative socially entrepreneurial organizations that are now offering educational programs in this area. So let me give you an example. Skillshare right now is is a great program, has the CEO of Warby Parker, who I'd love to get on here one of these days for an interview. Warby Parker, great organization, deals in eyewear, one-for-one model, just like Tom's shoes, not just like, but similar to Tom's shoes. Anyway, he is on Skillshare presenting a class. Now, the idea of Skillshare is people who have actual skills go on and teach others. Awesome program. I think that it is a lot of where higher education is going. I won't get on that soapbox right now, but let me tell you, I have some strong opinions there as a teacher in a traditional university setting, teaching assistant anyway. That's another topic for another day. But the bottom line is things like Skillshare. Uh, You've maybe heard of edX, Coursera. Again, I'll put these in the show notes. Coursera, uh, Udemy. These are all programs that are doing a lot in terms of reshaping education, and they view it as a social mission. And I think it is, because by and large, if you look at the facts, if you look at the statistics, we're not, and this goes all levels, by the way, elementary all the way on up to higher education, there's a significant percentage of students that we're just not reaching. And there's a significant percentage of students that are graduating without the skills to succeed in this marketplace. And what are those skills? Well, for one, a lot of times it's a technological skill. If you can master a technology or social media and do it very well, and oh, by the way, be able to present your mastery of that in a format that businesses understand and love, that's how you market yourself in the new economy. And by and large, a lot of universities are are a little behind the eight ball on that. And so a lot of these social ventures have stepped in to kind of fill that void. And it's not to say that universities will not adapt to that, but it's just to say that I think a lot of the most exciting changes in education right now are happening at those organizations like Skillshare, like edX, like Udemy, like Coursera, number of others out there. But those are just a few examples. And I'm looking forward to getting several of them on the show. In fact, I'll plan an entire month themed around educational innovation and social entrepreneurship and education. So that will be definitely a conversation we'll come back to. But 
The point is, these programs are exploding. The two interviews that we had this week are examples of that and examples of what specifically you can learn and the skills you can get from a program like this. I'm also going to pop a very large article into the show notes, at least a link to that article in the show notes, because I think it's really great. And it talks about some of the top programs in the U.S. around social entrepreneurship. It was really the only one I was able to find, but it's very, very good in terms of how well it explains things, but it also is very long. But if you're really looking for a good resource to find a good program around social entrepreneurship, you don't really need to look any further than that. That's all I really wanted to say around this idea of social entrepreneurship programs. I'm part of one. I I love it. I love the fact that I can tie what I study into what I do in the real world and the people that I interact with at Social Change Nation. So food for thought on that. If you have any other questions around academic programs, want to get involved with anything like that, feel free to shoot me an email, josh at socialchangenation.com, or comment directly on this post. Okay. Enough said on academic programs. Let me talk a bit about some happenings this week and why I'm stoked, (laughs) wicked stoked, about some of the changes I recently made in Social Change Nation. Funny thing, so I figured out the tech issues I was having is just a stupid mistake on my part. I use Audacity to record this podcast, and I simply didn't switch over the microphone on Audacity this time around to my external Blue Yeti mic, or the last time, to my external Blue Yeti mic. And so as a result, it was recording with my, com- my internal mic and my computer, which obviously picked up a lot of computer noise. So anyway, fix that now. Sounding a lot better. Uh, but the silver lining in that was those tech issues, that was just one of them, but they frustrated me so much that it really caused me to take a long, hard look at Social Change Nation and at this idea of four podcast interviews per week. And I mentioned last week, I'm shifting that. It's two podcast interviews for, per week, my recap podcast, two blog posts per week, and a newsletter every two weeks. So that's my new format. And what I've really been loving about that and what I'm really excited to share with you today is that what that will allow me to do is focus, just put a laser focus on themes. And so what that means is each week, to the extent that I'm able, the two people that I interview will be very connected in terms of the line of work they're in and the messages that they have for us. It might even go on. So, for example, with the educational section, I'm sure that'll go on for a month. So I'll have four weeks worth of folks that I'll interview in that space. And that is really good because it'll let us dig in a lot more than I think we'd be able to otherwise, number one. And number two, I want to I point out, too, even if it's a theme that you're not directly – so, for example, if education was not the social venture that you want to get involved with, trust me. Every theme is going to have bits of information that you'll want to latch onto. But the bottom line is I I, I like that theme focus. And what that also will allow us to do as a nation, as a community, it'll really allow me to take the time to take that specific theme, that specific focus, and that content we develop in those couple weeks and really promote it to a lot of different networks and hopefully get us plugged in in a lot of different areas and ways. And that was uh, one of my biggest epiphanies of the week. I... I had, first of all, kind of viewed this project as, hey, we at Social Change Nation, we got to spend 80% of our time creating content, just creating a huge quantity of content, and then maybe spend the other 20% of the time promoting it and trying to link up with other people and that kind of thing. I had that completely flipped, completely flipped. It's actually, we need to spend about 20% of the time, at least, 
It's not to say we won't spend a lot of energy, but 20% of the time, right now anyway, creating stellar content that is extremely high quality at a certain basic level of quantity, but bottom line, quality of that content is the focus. And then we need to spend about 80% of the time promoting that. And I say that because there are so many communities out there. When we have a great interview like the two that we did this week, there are so many communities out there that can benefit from that. It's really our responsibility to do everything we can to reach out to those communities and connect with those groups and make sure that we get our information there and get those folks connected with us. Now, as we grow, that proportion might change a little bit. You know, maybe it's 30 40% more on content, 60 70% on getting our word out there and connecting with these communities. But right now, that's really going to be my focus. And, and this new format will really allow us to do that, will really allow us to, to dig in and to create conversations. And by the way, bear in mind, when I say connect with communities, what I really mean is get the conversation going, right? So it, I'm not just saying, hey, let's promote ourselves. I'm saying, let's get conversations going. We have this content. It's tremendous content. Let's build conversations around that. And let's do that in lots of different communities. So that's really going to be my focus. This new format, I think, will really lend itself to that. Most importantly, though, it's going to result in some much, much higher quality content. Last thing on this, speaking of content, if you have not already, please pop onto my website and download the 10 keys for success in a cause-based business. Now, I would really appreciate it if you sign your email in to get my updates. That's how you'll get that. I mentioned it before. I don't inundate you. I have two newsletters a month. And that'll keep you updated on everything going on. It's just a good way for me to keep in touch with you. But if you really don't want to do that but still want that guide, just go to socialchangenation.com slash 10 keys. It's not a public page, but I'm telling you right now. So you can go there if you want. Socialchangenation.com slash the number 10 keys. That's the way you get that. Great resource guide developed for my interviews with social entrepreneurs around the world. If you are looking to start a cause-based business or add a cause-based component to an existing business, that's the resource you want right there. Okay, so that's all in terms of content. Just want to share a quick uh, few successes from the week. Uh, First of all, just got done with a really exciting presentation here in the Startup Village. We had a group of Costa Rican students running around, taking a tour of the whole area, and they stopped by and chatted with me for a few I personally loved that. I've, I lived in Peru for a year. I've mentioned that before. And so I, well, I used to call myself fluent in Spanish, but I wouldn't say that anymore. It's been several years and I'm, I'm losing a lot of it and have a pretty thick accent. But I did greet them all in Spanish and have about a 20-second conversation with the whole group in Spanish, which they enjoyed because they had no idea. You know, this gringo walking in could speak Spanish or at least attempt to speak Spanish. And anyway, great crew of students. And it just really inspired me with the energy of that generation for social change and for cause-based business. After just a few-minute presentation I gave, I had several students come up to me talking about how they, they dreamed of being social entrepreneurs. You know, that, that was the job title they were going for. And <laughs> when else in history have we had people wanting to be a social entrepreneur as a career. How awesome is that, that we have these, these young students who are coming in and, and that is the career field they want. I, I love it. I love it. And I love this perspective. And, and I, the reason this perspective is so near and dear to me is because 
I, I was woken up at 18. I've talked about this before. At 18, I, I was a, a graduating senior high school student in a small town in Kansas. I was going to go off to Chicago, New York, make a big time as an actor. Got rejected, cold out, flat out rejected from several theater schools in New York, Chicago, L.A. Didn't know what I was going to do. Randomly just did AmeriCorps in Cleveland through a series of events I'll talk about another time. Did AmeriCorps, Domestic Peace Corps in Cleveland. Was working a lot with kids in schools. Was exposed to urban poverty and justice in ways that I had never even knew existed. Had my eyes opened. Had my justice nerves turned on. And folks, I've never looked back. But... At that time, that was not a real common mentality. So to come at this 10, 11 years later and see that folks that are now the age that I was at that time are already having their justice nerves turned on just because of the way they're connected and because there's so much more of a conversation around social justice and social mission, I love it. I absolutely love it. And it, it drives what I do every day. So that was a great group. Just wanted to highlight that. Also, I've mentioned this. I felt much better just in terms of of the way I've refocused, reoriented myself. And I've also, and this is just something I failed to do that I needed to do, I've started to get a lot more involved in the conversation around social entrepreneurship that's going on on social media, blogs, traditional media. That was an area I needed to get very involved in, and I'm, I'm really stepping that up, ramping that up, and I have really been enjoying that. And also, by the way, it's important for us as a community to engage that conversation. So I'm loving doing that. That's been a big uh, big success of the week. Also, just on a personal note, I have managed to get a lot more rest. This project, getting these pieces in place, has been a tremendous undertaking and frankly has, has been wearing me out, especially given that I've you know mentioned before I have research responsibilities at the university. I have a part-time job. There are certain things that I'm involved with that really, really draw on my energy and my time. And I've found a lot of ways to find work-life harmony with all my projects. But the biggest thing, frankly, is I am just energized and inspired by everything we're doing here at Social Change Nation. I think it is so vitally important. And I'm energized every day by you, by seeing that people are tuning in, hearing this message. And I'm energized by the people I interview. And I'm energized by, by, by students like the, the students that came by today that just love this idea, believe in this idea. And I'm energized every single day by where I know, where I absolutely know this cause will go and what I know it will become. What I know social entrepreneurship and cause-based business is going to become in our lifetimes. Y'all, it's going to be amazing. And hang on for a really incredible ride as we dig into social business, because we're really just at the beginning, y'all. Tom Shoes started, I could be a little wrong on this, but started in 2006, and they were really the first, at least the first to get major notoriety and to really set the standard and to define terms around social entrepreneurship. That was 2006. There are an unimaginable number of companies that have sprung up since then that have followed Tom's model. And it's only going to grow. So I love that. I'm, I'm excited for that. Okay, enough in terms of the updates from the week, some personal updates, that kind of thing. 
As far as setbacks, this week has really been pretty good overall. I've not had many tech setbacks. I feel like the recording quality with Lauren and Carolyn was pretty spot on. I, like I said, I figured out my mic issue was my own issue. So a lot of those things are going well. Um, can't really think of any particular setback. So let's go ahead and I just want to spend the last few minutes talking about a blog post I put up there. It's a blog post that has actually gotten some play in several different online spaces. And I think it's a really valuable resource, especially because I know a lot of folks tuning in are involved with nonprofit organizations or for-profits that want to partner. So I really want to highlight it. And I'll kind of summarize it here, but it is on my main page. Um, and it is called the... Five Keys to a Successful Nonprofit For-Profit Partnership. This has come from a lot of work I've done in this space. It's come from a lot of interviews that I did. And so let me go ahead and highlight those five keys. And what this is, if you are a business looking to partner with a nonprofit, so you're a business, you're a social, social venture, and you're wanting to look for the nonprofit partners to really tie your mission into, here are a few things you want to bear in mind. Because by and large, by the way, most businesses, businesses especially those without a social mission, aren't doing this right. So I put that on there as a resource for the, and I don't think it's because, you know, they just don't, they just, sometimes they just don't know how, and there's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it, and so I put this on there as a resource to just share with folks the right way to do it, and it's not just me talking here, by the way, like I said, this is based on experience, my experience with a lot of companies, a lot of nonprofits, and here's kind of what, what has come out of all of that. The first thing that, that folks fail to do a lot of times in, in for-profits when they're partnering with a nonprofit is they don't really line up the partnership with their mission. So a good example of how this can be done well, Home Depot partners with Habitat for Humanity. That's something that makes sense. I can understand that, and I know why they do it. And by the way, they speak the same language, at least in a lot of areas. So that makes sense. That lines up with Home Depot's mission in a lot of ways. But there are other partnerships out there that don't really make sense. For example, I've often wondered why Walmart partners with a lot of organizations that they do. I understand that their their overall goal is just to give back to their communities. But I want to see them having more focus. And frankly, I think if they don't, they're going to struggle in the cause-based marketplace. They're going to struggle to win over millennials. They've already been struggling a lot in those areas. And I I think this is really going to hurt them, not having causes that, that... line up with their mission. And actually, they might line up with their mission, but the problem is they don't explain that. They don't sell that. Whereas Home Depot has a very good story around its partnership with Habitat for Humanity and really makes sense out of it in a way that people understand. Another big thing that organizations don't do is they they always want to think that they they need to donate just money. But there are a lot of opportunities for organizations to donate expertise. So let me give you an example of this. Uh, Toyota, you know, they're great car makers, but they also happen to be very, very good at logistics, at assembly lines at getting things done very efficiently. And so Toyota partnered with a huge food bank system in the New York City area and was able to actually double the amount of food that they were able to deliver just by improving the systems that that food bank had in place. Now, I think they probably donated a little money alongside that, but the bottom line is the main thing they're donating is their expertise and their time. So a lot of companies, I think, fail to think about that and to fit that into the model of their charitable giving or their nonprofit partnership. Another thing, if you have a product that they should be using, get your nonprofits using it. Now, if you feel it's appropriate and and works into their model too, you can sell it to them. Nonprofits buy stuff. They buy a lot of stuff. You can sell it to them or you can donate it to them. You have to decide what fits you. But bottom line is you want to get them using 
what you have. So let me give you an example of this. I, I worked with, with Dave Ramsey, very large financial literacy organization, uh, a for-profit, for-purpose company. And we partnered with a lot of nonprofits. Now, we would donate a lot of our Financial Peace University materials when that made sense, but we would also sell it at a discounted rate when that made sense. But the bottom line is we got those nonprofits using it, loving it, and then we actually turned them into evangelists for us. Now, that's not just some self-interested thing, not to say that we you know, just got them out selling our product, but that created a much richer relationship with those nonprofits because we had that bond, because we had we had met a need that they had, and we had a, a solid relationship that went deeper than just some kind of a charitable connection. We were connected as people, and we were connected through our missions because they used our product or service. So that's a huge, hugely important point. Here's another one that most companies miss. They don't ask their team members where they'd like to contribute. The board just kind of comes together, or, or some you know, CEO comes out and decides where the company should donate and contribute philanthropically. That's not the way to do it at all. I, I understand if you're a privately held company and, and, and the owner might have missions that he or she wants to get involved with, but at some level you want to get in touch with your employees and see what they want to do. And here's a great model, and Timberland is really the standard bearer in this, the Timberland organization, you know, the boots and jackets and outdoor, well, just outdoor gear in general. They're really the standard bearer in this idea of giving their employees a week time, paid time, in addition to their vacation time, to volunteer for a cause that they care about. That's huge. That's hugely amazing. And it's a great way to make sure that your employees can get involved with the cause that they care about. But also, if you have a cause that you want to get involved with centrally as a business, why not survey your employees? Why not find out, you know, where the majority is in terms of the kinds of causes they want to be involved with? Now, personally, I like the individual model. Give them some time off, pay them for their volunteering, and that's a good way for you as a company to contribute to an organization, but also make sure that you're contributing in a powerful way because it's important to that employee. But as a company, you should do this too. You should understand the tenor of your employees, at least to the extent that you're able, and tailor your philanthropy to the interest of your employees. It seems like a pretty straightforward concept, but the vast majority of companies do not take the time to ask their employees these questions. Okay, last thing, I kind of talked about this a little bit before. Engage your charitable partners as ambassadors. Don't be afraid to do this. You're doing great work for them. Don't be afraid to allow them or encourage them to promote what you're doing. They should believe in what you're doing. That's the making of a solid partnership. You should believe in what they're doing, and they should believe in what you're doing. Those are very, very important things. You know, I heard it's funny. I heard a quote just today, and I'm not going to remember who said it, so I won't be able to cite them. But they said, you know, that corporate philanthropy, more often than not, is sort of like the people who go to church on a Sunday just for the sake of having people see them at church. So what does that mean in the business world, right? They're the businesses that are doing philanthropy just because it's something that they feel like they should do. And that's it. I couldn't think of a more wrong way, a more wrong way to create a solid for-profit, non-profit partnership. Okay? You need to develop strong partnerships. You need to do this for the right reasons. And if you're not going to, just don't do it. But do it for the right reasons. Build these solid partnerships. And then you should both be believing and embracing each other's missions to the extent that you're both promoting each other. So another example of that, when I worked with that financial literacy program, 
We had a lot of our nonprofits using it and loving it, so much so that they would come on webinars with us and promote the program as we interacted with other organizations, both nonprofit and for-profit. They were huge ambassadors for us because we really linked up on our missions. And so that's really important insight, I think, if you're looking to do a for-profit, nonprofit partnership. Okay, folks, we're at about the 35-minute mark, so I want to close this out here. I hope this recap has been helpful. This is something that I will continue to tailor, continue to tweak, but the goal here is really just to meet your needs, to recap that podcast, and to address any issues or questions you have. That's my goal, and also for me, it gives me a chance one time a week to really reorient myself around this community and just have a good conversation with you. So that was my goal today. Again, just trying to be open with you about what's going on with Social Change Nation, my continual efforts to improve it, to bring other people into the fold, to connect with other communities. And uh, so anyway, that is uh, the focus of today. Just really excited for where we're headed. And again, really excited for the future of social change and social entrepreneurship. I hope you all are well in your lives. Looking forward to next week and the interviews we have ahead of us. And really all we have ahead of us is Social Change Nation. So wherever you are, take care this week. Have a great weekend. And I will catch you on the flip side.